This podcast may include adult content. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Jetstream by Craig Turlson and Montreal in Seven Pieces by Laura Roberts. Bound Off is always looking for great stories. Visit our website at boundoff.com to find our submission guidelines. Also, we're entering our fifth year of free short story podcasts. If you like what you hear, please head over to iTunes and leave us a nice review. Jetstream, written and read by Craig Turlson. Listening time, 4 minutes, 41 seconds. Jetstream, by Craig Turlson. Wading through the slender grass, scuffing his feet on the uneven ground, he could have been 40 miles from his house instead of 40 yards. She told him she'd be home late. He came upon a group of boulders, the three bison. Sandpaper colored, yet smooth as marble from the years of rubbing. He climbed up and peered back, across the alley, over the tangled shrub that drank gallons every summer. The kitchen window, a small square of black. He watched it like a station gone off the air. He plucked a pack of wintergreen gum out of his breast pocket. Above him, a jumbo jet arced, the stream splitting the purple sky. She was late every night this week, hungry as a horse when she walked in. I don't think they eat that much. What? Whoever came up with that? It's just a saying. After a full day of work, her hair still looked good and smelled even better, fresh, like riding with the top down by the ocean. Not that he ever done that. Her face flushed, as if she'd come in from a run. Always with the running. How fit did she need to get? The rocks felt cold on his ass. The purple of her head bled into a dark stain. The stars afraid to come out. The black square stayed black. No, she's not home. Still at work. Late. He spit out the words like a telegram. Gone. Stop. Maybe for good. Stop. Who's calling? Nobody. A quick hang-up. Her body was icy fresh in bed, like the gum. He melted into that S-curve. Goosebumps against his flesh. Don't. And then she'd work late again. He was always home on time. Made a point of it. Sit under the bird lamp, snap the free press into place, and scan the headlines. Tornado rips through the farmyard. Killer flushed out of hiding. Divorce rates drop. Common law soars. On the rocks, he looked to where the jet stream had been. All traces of smoke had slipped away. They had moved to the edge of town so he could look out and see forever. Just because it's so damn flat. Her lips painted the color of red dye number five. You want to be somewhere else? She shrugged. The arc had been pretty good for the first few years. Met in a library... And the classics, lots of strong coffee and Italian movies. Later nights with bottles of Pinot Noir and soft looks that turn into even later nights on the couch. Then jobs that turned into careers. City life that transitioned to small towns that bordered open fields. Acquaintances that became friends. Relatives that lost touch. And the ones, more than just friends, that listened late. I think we should try again. Change your diet. Go on the meds they suggest. 
She brushed a hair from her forehead, scratched a patch of dry skin on her arm. Some couples never have kids. They seem fine. We're not some couple. We could... Don't say it. Who said what and what mattered? The black square lit up. Her face glowing, hair tied back and held in place with a forest green band. He always liked that look. He watched her at the sink, fill a glass, and come to the window. Fireflies danced in the grass, the lights flashing Morse code. She stared into the dark, her features hard to make out, yet he knew the look. She stayed that way for a long time, searching beyond their yard, the road, and the field. She knew about the bison. A half-ton crunched down the alley, headlights like long knives, then passed him, and a single red brake light shone. He looked back to the square. A moment of retina burn obscured his view. The light remained, but she had left. Stars crowded the sky, a slash of misty light. The Milky Way spread ghost-like above him. He turned his collar up, jumped off the rocks, falling on one knee. A bit deeper into the field, he decided. He turned his back on the house, slid his hands into his pockets and walked away. He'd be back late. Craig Tarleson's fiction has appeared in Bound Off, Carve, Hobart, Smoke Long Quarterly, and other literary journals. He shouts about fiction at woofreakinwho.squarespace.com. He is currently working on a second novel. Montreal in Seven Pieces Written by Laura Roberts Read by Mark Rushton Listening time, 8 minutes, 37 seconds Montreal in Seven Pieces by Laura Roberts 1. A woman exits R-E-A-L bagel, swinging a bag of poppy seed bagels from her left hand. She ducks her head in the rain and sprints for the driver's side door of a Mercedes-Benz SUV. She does not know what the R-E-A or L in R-E-A-L bagel stand for, although perhaps it has flickered across her transom that it is an acronym. Letters that form a word, all of which represent other words or phrases. An acronym with no explanatory words. A symbol without meaning. Or is it merely a ploy to skirt the insanity of Montreal's obscure language laws, with their insistence on French first, English second, or better yet, not at all? They've even decided how big English signs should be in comparison with their French counterparts one-half the size, and positioned to the right of, or below, the French. The woman does not know about any of these language issues, nor would she care if you mentioned it to her in passing. She turns off her hazard lights, flicks on her windshield wipers, puts the enormous vehicle in gear, and drives off in the drizzly afternoon, content with her purchase of 100% real bagels. 2. A girl stands next to a bright red mailbox, fumbling in her backpack. She is searching for something. An envelope? A package? The mailbox does not know, nor does it care. It will simply accept whatever she places inside its aluminum guts, unquestioning. The girl finds the envelope, a letter to her mother with photos enclosed, and slips it into the slot. She notices a sticker as she is turning to leave. It reads FLQ and is followed by the filled black circle and lit fuse designating a bomb. 
She doesn't know what it means, although she feels nervous about the picture of a bomb. She stands before the mailbox for a moment, pondering the initials and the cartoon bomb, then moves away down the street. In another moment or two, she's forgotten all about the sticker. 3. A girl walks down St. Catherine, looking only at the ground. Her head tucked into her chest to keep her glasses dry. She catches nobody's glance. As she nears that water, she sees a white wire coat hanger lying in the gutter. Her pace falters, and she trips over her own feet. Her eyes no longer see the coat hanger, but a hospital room on the opposite side of town. There is a woman speaking to her in a soothing voice, holding her hand, and a machine is whirring, purring somewhere. She is staring at the ceiling, trying not to think. You can get dressed now, the woman says, smiling. It is all over so fast. Thank God she hardly felt a thing. Back on St. Catherine, blinking in the gray afternoon, she grinds the coat hanger beneath her scuffed combat boot and walks on with renewed vigor. 4. As she orders her latte, she overhears the too loud conversation at the large table full of men. They are discussing God. Jesus, to be exact. His love and his sacrifice and the biblical passages that supposedly apply to their discussion, their lives. As musicians, we want to be recognized for what we do, she hears one say. She whirls around, alarmed, hoping that this band is not one of her favorites. She wipes her brow, relieved. It is only screed. They suck. Still, she can't help but wonder what's wrong with these people, having a public discussion about religion in a neighborhood cafe frequented by staunch atheists and agnostics, of the type only found in the formerly Catholic stronghold of her island city. Who do they think they're fooling, Christian rock wannabes, she mutters to herself. She pays the cashier and goes to sit outside so she doesn't have to listen to their drivel. 5. The table seats four. Its legs are rickety. One of the boys seated there keeps a Doc Martin pressed firmly on the leg to keep it from thunking back and forth, splashing coffee from four stainless steel cups. There are three boys and one girl. Each is clad entirely in black. The girl has ten silver hoops in her left ear and three in her right. Each of them sip a large cup of steaming coffee, silent but for the clack and scratch of cups returning to saucers and the barely audible click of metal zippers swinging gently against the table. Monk-like, they sit with their heads bowed, contemplating their dark liquids. Not a single word is spoken, and they remain at the table for exactly 45 minutes. Curious onlookers give them dirty glances from time to time, wondering if these four are praying, communing, or otherwise attempting to some form of magical connection. Do they speak without words? Are they deaf-mutes? Are they simply too tired to speak? The barista glances at them, curious, but can't think of a reasonable opening remark. Finally, they finish their drinks, glance up at one another, nod in unison, and file out of the cafe. 6. 8.26 p.m. 20.26, according to the 24-hour clock at the Société de Transport de Montreal, the public transportation system for the Montreal region. There is a posted schedule attached to a sign on the corner just outside the cafe. The 8 or 20.26 bus, listed on the schedule, sits at the curb just around the corner. Each would-be passenger, waiting in the queue, watches the stationary bus with curiosity. The driver is inside the bus, sitting up front, ready to drive, but he does not put the bus in motion. The passengers are trying to decipher the meaning of his inaction. Is he asleep? 
Is he eating a sandwich? Is he talking to someone on a cell phone? The driver is a bit too far away to see him clearly. So the people on the corner murmur to themselves and to each other as they wait. One passenger in the line is staring intently at his digital watch. He sighs as the six flicks to a seven, eight twenty-seven, one minute late, and still the bus does not move. It's late, but by whose clock? Does the STM run on Eastern Standard Time? Is their schedule synchronized with an atomic clock? Is the man with the digital watch synchronized too? Who sets these times on the schedule? Whose watches are properly calibrated? To whom can anyone complain? The bus is late, or perhaps it's early, depending on the watch in question. Finally, the traffic light in front of the driver turns red. The bus roars to life, and the driver turns the corner with maddening speed. A screecher breaks, and the bus's doors open with a muted bang. The people each swipe their passes or toss change into a slot as the driver smiles and whispers, Bonsoir, to each of them as they board. 7. Excuse me, where's St. Catherine Street? the woman asks. I look around, momentarily thrown. We stand on an unmarked street corner somewhere in Montreal. I realize I have no idea what intersection this is, but in any event, I'm usually already on the opposite side of the street when I reach this particular corner. I'm walking to school, a path I can tread in my sleep. The other side of the street does not have a corner. The block extends a bit further on that side, finally curbing outside a cafe with the unfortunate name of Calories. This is St. Catherine, I finally say, getting my bearings back. Tourists' questions always knock me off balance, and I second-guess myself. Oh, it is. Am I going the right way to get to McGill? We are standing in Westmount, west of downtown, west of all life as we know it. Westmount is not Montreal, but it isn't far either. The woman is facing east, towards downtown Montreal. Another few blocks and she'll be free of this bizarre English enclave, surrounded on all sides by French Montreal. Yes, I say. I should tell her she's got a long walk ahead of her. I should tell her to take the metro. It's right there, below us, though you can't tell from the street. There's no telltale smoke issuing from below, no clattering of wheels in the track, nor screaming of brakes. The metro is quiet as a mouse, the direct opposite of New York's subway. I just smile and turn away. My duty is done. Laura Roberts is the editor-in-chief of Blackheart Magazine and columnist behind Our.ca's V for Vixen. She is currently working on her first book, A Sexy Guide to Montreal. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.